Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, again. again. Uh, yeah, so welcome. Again, my name is Dan. I think I recognize most of the folks here, but um, yeah, I'm just one of the pastors here. Adam Bonus is usually here to preach, and he uh, and his, his family went out to Colorado to visit relatives, so he asked if I could fill in. And I have known about this for a while, and I've been pretty excited to be able to preach and share God's word with us this morning. Um, next, tomorrow begins AD 2023. AD 2024, right. You didn't listen to that. That's right. We are finishing AD 2023. We're beginning AD 2024. And People actually used to say, the year of our Lord, 20, 2024. And I, I think I'm going to start bringing that back. I think I'm going to start on all my checks, go AD 2023. Because I think it actually it says something. It actually explains where we get this number from. Uh, the year of our Lord, about 2,000 years ago is when Christ was born. And it, it changed all of history. When we lived in Thailand, uh, the, they actually had the Buddhist year. Another year, they add like a few hundred years to it, you know. They've got the year, they divide their year into years since the Buddha had lived and walked the earth. And uh, the Muslims do exactly the same thing, actually. There's a Muslim year, something like 1400. And, and yet, we recognize, actually, it's not just the number of years since Christ was born, but it's, I love the idea that the year of our Lord, 2024, it's actually his year. It actually belongs to him. He's the owner of next year. And so I just, I find that quite striking. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Um, this text, thanks for reading that, Lance. This text is actually really a, a fascinating one, and I'm excited to talk about it with you today. Um, as some of you guys know, we've been walking through the book of Luke starting in December. Um, and I think we're going to continue on through the book of Luke through the spring. And, and we've been talking about the coming king. Uh, the, the king who arrived as a little baby. Um, before I start preaching, though, let me just pray once again. Lord in heaven, we, we just, we recognize uh, all that you did in in this year, 2023, Lord, we have we have no really comprehension of all that you were doing um, around the world, and, and and even in our own our own little world here, God. It's sometimes hidden to us all the things that you were doing, um, but we we know that you're at work, that you you've always been working. Um, we just invite your work here this morning by your Spirit. Would you be please, please uh, graciously meet. Meet us in your word, as you promised to do, Lord, would you please speak to us by your word. Um, we trust your word to be life and truth to us, God, and hope uh, in a world where people are so lost and so far from you, God. We thank you um, that you, you've given us an anchor, something to hold on to this morning. I pray that you do the work of um, disentangling our hearts from their uh, their affections for things which are, are not of you, God. Would you, would you lift up our eyes to see, see Christ, see your Son as he truly is, and encourage our hearts for the work, work ahead of us in the year to come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so the scene is the temple in Jerusalem. Um, raise your hand. Has anyone actually ever been in a temple of any kind? All right, a few of us. A few of us. Now, the only temple around here maybe is a Mormon temple, I suppose. Um, temples were places of, of sacrifice. They were the place where God met with his people. They were the hot spot of God's presence. And, and I just want to invite you to imagine what it was like for Mary and Joseph to take the journey from Bethlehem with their little baby, maybe just a few weeks after he was born, and present him to God, in a sense, at the temple. This was a, a ritual that was done by all faithful Jews. In fact, it says it a few times that they were, they were acting in accordance to God's word. And, and, and as they drew near, they, they knew that they were walking in accordance with God's revealed will. In the Old Testament, God had said, every firstborn that opens the womb belongs to me. And so you have to redeem that child by, by, by making an offering to God. And, and uh, there was a couple options. You could either offer a sheep, or if you were poor, you could offer some, some, some birds. And that's... Clearly, they were not well off because they offered the, the birds at the, at the temple. But as they get there, they encounter these two individuals. Uh, we're, we're introduced to Simeon. And these are fascinating people. They're not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. But it's clear that they were well known to God's people. They were people that were hanging out at the temple. Um, Simeon, this older man, it seems, who's known as, a, as, a, as, as someone who was uh, hanging out there quite a lot. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm calling this message the offensive consolation. The offensive consolation. And, and, and we don't use the word consoling very much. Another word could be the comfort. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel. But he wasn't the only one who was waiting there. Um, at the end of the passage, it talks about there being several other Jewish people who were there waiting at the temple for the redemption of Israel. And these are two ways of saying exactly the same thing. There was people, there was a remnant, a people of God who were looking at their, at listening to the Old Testament scripture, particularly in Isaiah, and they were longing for and waiting for God to actually do what he was said he was going to do in bringing consolation and redemption to his people. Um, just a few examples of these promises. Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2 says this. Uh, Yahweh says to his people, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. Later on, Isaiah 57, God says this to his people. I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit will grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and I was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart, God speaking of Israel. Listen to this. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. 
I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Finally, chapter 61 in Isaiah, God said this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who are mourning, all who mourn. So there were these promises, there were these, there was a drumbeat of promise of peace to God, to God's people, and that he was going to send someone who was going to bring that peace. Um, and here, Mary and Joseph encounter Simeon and Anna, and, and all these people who were waiting at the temple, the hot spot where God was going to meet his people. And it had been about 5,000 years since these words had been written to God's people. Not 5,000, 500 years, excuse me. 5,000 is a long time. 500 years is, is also a very long time. And, and God's people were longing and waiting to see God's kingdom to come. But they weren't seeing it. They weren't seeing it. They had this, this empire, this pagan empire, Rome, had dominated the whole landscape of the world. And, and, and Jerusalem was kind of this vassal state under this pagan state with, with this emperor. And, and there was a lot going on, as, as Adam talked about last, last week, about how Rome was really the dominant force. And yet Isaiah showed that Jerusalem was going to be the, the capital of the world. <laughs> and, and these people were taking God's word and saying, okay, God, where are you? What's going on? And um, it's interesting, uh, Anna... Which we don't know a whole lot about Simeon, where he's from, but we do learn about this, this older lady, Anna. She's, she's 84 years old. She's been a widow for most of her life, and she's just devoted herself to going to the temple, to fasting, to prayer. And it's interesting, if, if I, I looked at some diagrams of the temple, there was different courts. So you had the outer court, which was the, the court of the Gentiles, where the non-Jews could come and worship and pray Yahweh, but you were like, you were out there. You couldn't go in closer to Yahweh's temple, to his dwelling place. And then as you entered in, there was another court, a court of, it was called the court of the women, where this is where the women could hang out with the men, and this is where a lot was going on. And then as you entered in, into the, the, the next layer of sanctuary, that was where only men who had been purified and where the priests could go, and you would bring your animals in and you'd lay your hands on your animals, depending on the kind of sacrifice that you're doing. And the priest, they, you know, if you've ever been to a butcher shop, that's kind of the environment that was going on there. There's was, was a lot of blood, a lot of amp sounds of animals, uh, making unpleasant noises, I imagine. Um, the smell of smoke and burning flesh, you know, maybe kind of like barbecue, but not quite. It was, it was, it was a lot, there was a lot of, like your senses would just be bombarded with the sounds and the smells and maybe the incense and then you hear the priest singing psalms at certain parts of the day and it would it would it would be quite an interesting environment but this was the place where Anna and the people of God would come to pray to, to seek God's face to take hold of his promises and say God where are you what are you doing 
And then here comes along Simeon, this old man who's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says three times that this guy, this guy was walking with the Spirit of God. He was filled with the Spirit of God. God's Spirit led him to be there just as Mary and Joseph were coming. And somehow he recognized this baby in the hands of these, you know, poor husband and wife who came in was the Messiah. The Spirit highlighted it to his, to his mind. And he says some very interesting things. Um, first of all, he, he says, this child fulfills the Old Testament prophecy. Um, going way back to Genesis chapter 12, 13, when God met Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your descendants. Okay, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your descendants. And that's exactly um, what he says here uh, in verse 32 says, or 31 says, he, um, my eyes have seen, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So he's, he's, reminding, he's reminded of the promise to, to God's people, but it's interesting, he really emphasizes that this baby, this child, is going to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles, which harkens right back to that passage in Isaiah that we read before we worship today, that God was promising light to non-Jews, okay? So um, the, the Jewish people, the, the, the sons of Abraham, they knew they were God's special people. They walked through the, the desert, and we learned in our covenants class that God had special promises with the Jewish people. But he also designed the Jewish people to be a light to the whole world. It wasn't just to be a nationalistic religion. And uh, this emphasis is something that you're going to see as a, as, a, as a drumbeat that God began in Genesis 12 when he said, I'm going to bless you and all the nations that bless you, I will bless. And you will be a blessing to all nations. So God has always had an agenda for every nation. And when I say that word nation, when you hear that word nation, don't think nation state necessarily. Think the word ethnic group, okay? It's where we get that term ethnos is the, the Greek term there. So a light to the Gentiles or to the ethnic groups of the whole wide world. And so God cares about his people. He wants to console his people, but he also wants to bring light to the whole world. Um, and the Holy Spirit inspires Simeon to say these encouraging words. Um, now, we live in a world that people are looking for comfort. People are really looking for comfort. In fact, I would say comfort is the great idol of America. One of the great idols. We have a big idol shelf. I don't know if you know what an idol shelf is. In Asia, uh, you walk in anyone's home and there's a, there's a shelf on the wall and there's multiple gods or deities or pictures of ancestors that are on there that they burn incense to. America has one, has it's quite large, even though we don't actually make a physical, physical statue, but we love our comfort, okay? The, you know, the, the lengths that we will go to to I mean, have comfort when we're sitting or standing or driving or, you know, the, the market for, for, for comfort is quite expansive, okay, you know. Um, if we were sitting in church 100 years ago, these would be very wooden pews, very hard, not really ergonomic. Now, maybe these aren't that great either. But uh, 
You know, it's quite amazing the developments and, and you know, praise the Lord for comfort. I love my comfortable mattress just like anyone else. But it certainly is something we all desire comfort. But that's just mere physical comfort. We long to be comforted. We are we're uncomfortable people in a sense. We we're bothered, we're anxious. Um, we've had more physical wealth in our in our in our lifetimes than kings enjoyed just a few hundred years ago. And yet then the amount of anxiety, the amount of worry and depression that is that is at least reported is is is, is off the charts. I mean, people um, people are discouraged. They're uncomfortable. They're anxious. They're worried. And and God, he he is promising his people consolation, specifically Israel, but he also is promising peace to. The world. Remember the angels when they when they arrived. They said, "Peace on earth, right? Consolation, comfort. God's bringing a, a resolution because we all know this world is broken. Something's wrong. It's called sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And God is encouraging. And so, if we were to, if, if Luke was a symphony of some kind or a some sort of movement of, of music. The music thus far has been very happy and very exciting and anticipatory, okay? There's been a lot of major, um, these angels are showing up telling people, hey, God's at work. God, you know, angel shows up to Zechariah. You're going to have a baby. Angel shows up to Mary. You're going to have a baby. It happens, you know. Elizabeth's, you know, prophesying. Uh, Mary's writing poetry. And then you have... This happened, and Simeon, this you know, this man shows up, and he and he he writes a poem, he sings a song, and it's 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 echoing Isaiah. But what's interesting here is um, not only is Christ going to bring consolation, but there's there's now a minor chord kind of struck in the, the words of Simeon as he speaks. Uh, not just about Christ, but also to, to Joseph and Mary. And, and, and look with me, if you will. Uh, this is where I really want to emphasize. Um, look at verse 34. He says this. He says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. It's interesting. Specifically, it's Mary. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I want to camp out here just a little bit with you. Um, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Okay, so here, for the first time, it seems, at least in Luke's account, Mary is, is informed, listen, yes, this is the king. But there's going to be some pain involved. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some opposition. Um, and it's quite interesting. The, the rising and fall of many in Jerusalem, or many in Israel, um, speaks to the fact that some are going to, to do well. Some are going to respond to Jesus, and they're going to be, they're going to be on a, a good trajectory up. And there's going to be some who respond to Jesus and their trajectory is going to be to stumble and to fall. Um, he is really echoing some interesting 
themes that, that are throughout the whole Old Testament. And uh, this idea of a sign to be opposed is a real, really a hyperlink to some of these ideas that come also from Isaiah. Listen to this. But the Lord of hosts, this is from Isaiah 8, 13 to 15. God says this, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Did you hear that? There's a promise that there's going to be, that Yahweh himself is going to be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. Okay, we've all stumbled over rocks, right? Uh, and there's this idea that God is going to actually trip some people up. Isaiah 28 says this, Therefore, says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. The stone, this is Psalm 118, says this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So, interesting, there's this, 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 this metaphor, this picture of a stone that some people are going to stumble over, they're going to be offended by, but for other people, Jesus is the, the cornerstone, the foundation stone. Now, um, cornerstone, we don't, we don't build buildings out of stone so much anymore, but the idea is, is when you were building a building back then, you would clear it, you have to have a very flat surface. And, and the most important stone that you would, when you're building this building, is that first cornerstone. And it has to be perfectly laid and it has to be perfectly level and even. Okay? If your cornerstone is, is uneven or off to an angle, it, you might not notice it at first, but as you're building the building, it's just going to become this monstrosity. It's going to fall over. It's not going to work right. So there's this, this image of of, of God is going to lay a foundation in Zion. Zion is just another word for Jerusalem or the capital of Israel. And this cornerstone is going to be a sure foundation. And whoever believes in this cornerstone, whoever puts their faith in this cornerstone, is going to do well. But if you don't, if you stumble over the stone, you're going to fall. You're going to, you're going to perish. Um, so Jesus is, is pictured as this sign of that is opposed, and as he's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Um, now, we might think, okay, that's fine. Yeah, Jesus, he can be the cornerstone. That's a great image for, you know, maybe Israel, or maybe just for the church, you know? The church, he's the cornerstone. He's like the most important thing, right? Um, I would argue Christ is not merely the cornerstone for our religion. But Christ is actually the cornerstone of, of reality, of the universe. <laughs> he is the one um, that, without which everything falls apart in our entire, entire world. And we live in a world of people who have different cornerstones and people that have, have laid their trust on different foundations. Um, probably another God that would be on our shelf 
would be secularism. The God of secularism says, oh, there, there can be this neutral space where, you know, there can be lots of different authorities, and we're all equal in, in our, in our worldviews, you know. And, you know, the, I think what we're seeing in our, in our world, in our culture, in our country particularly, is that um, the, the false cornerstone of secularism is really made out of silly putty. And the only reason why it's held up for a couple hundred of years since the Enlightenment is because it was in the shape of the previous cornerstone of Christ, of Christianity. And so we're living on the fumes of a civilization, of a, of a culture that used to have Christ much more as its centerpiece. But now the, the, the cornerstone is, is trying to be able to see silly putty. It's, it's, it's melting away. There's almost nothing there. In fact, I was listening to an interview uh, with a, a pretty prominent atheist. He's part of this movement called the New Atheist. His name is Sam Harris. And he's an interesting guy. He's a very interesting atheist because he sees all these other religions as, as, as dangerous. He sees especially Islam as dangerous because it's got jihad, right? They believe, they believe that they're going to go somewhere after they die if they do the right things. And this is their because they believe if you die, you know, in, in warfare, in jihad, then you go right to heaven, you know? And he's like, this is a terrible idea. But he's also very against Christianity. It's fascinating to listen to him speak. He says, you know, you know, these claims about this Jesus fellow dying and raising from the dead, they, it's a claim of, he couldn't imagine something that uh, countered the law of science, the law of biology, you know? And it's just, but he also wants to hold on to the morality. He says, there must be good, because I know there's evil, right? I know there's evil, but unfortunately, he only defines evil as suffering, right? And that's what our culture also defines as evil, conscious suffering. And so he, is, he says, there's a foundation out there for why I believe there's good and evil, but he can't tell you what it is. He has no idea where it comes from, because in his mind, he just, he just intuitively knows that it's wrong to make people suffer, and it's right to alleviate suffering. But he has no foundation for that because he refuses to come to Christ. Because there's another idol up on the, that shelf called scientism. And we know, we know, because, you know, God isn't this super thing out in space that we can't see, touch, taste, or, or measure, you know. So somehow we know he doesn't exist. Um, very fascinating. But the, the reason the world is looking for consolation, looking for peace, is because that cornerstone doesn't exist for them. That, it, that it comports to reality. Because Christ is not only the cornerstone of our faith, but he's the cornerstone of the universe. And if you reject Christ, you invite destruction. And you're going to fall. You're going to fall headlong. And we're seeing that happen in our culture. It was interesting. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, wrote this. He says, For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we, cre we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is God stronger than men. So it's interesting, Paul took this idea of a stumbling block, and it's not just for the not just for the Jews. The Jews could not fathom that God would become a human being and die. And the Gentiles, the Greeks, the, the Romans, looked at the cross and said, what kind of king is this? What kind of king subjects himself 
to that kind of humility. And they couldn't fathom that a, a person could raise from the dead. Why, why, why would that happen? So this is nothing new. Christ has been this dividing line. And it's fascinating, you know, when we hear the angels proclaim, peace on earth, goodwill to men, you know. Um, another God on the shelf could maybe be this idea that we could have world peace and harmony if we all just kind of stop in the edges of our of our worldview and just kind of link arms and, 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 you know, this is God's vision for bringing peace on earth. But Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He's actually a dividing line. When you encounter the living Christ, you can't be neutral. You're either going to accept him and bow your head to him as your Lord, or you're going to reject him. And, and there's no middle ground. <laughs> and, and so we see Jesus is is foretold here by Simeon. And he's going to be appointed for the rising and fall of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He's still opposed today. And then he says something interesting, and I'm just going to finish on this point here. Um, he says something specific to Mary. And he says, you know, there's going to be a sword that will pierce through your own soul also. Uh, very, very interesting little phrase that he says here. Um, and then he goes on to say, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It seems clear that he's talking specifically to Mary. But we get to listen in on this little dialogue here. And, you know, Mary had a very special relationship with Jesus. I can't imagine what it was like to, to be his mother <laughs> and to, to bear him. But then also to think about the fact that she was, she was going to have to watch him go through his life and be opposed and be, be derided and be accused of being demon-possessed. And even she and his brothers at one point thought he was crazy <laughs> and he's out there doing amazing things. And, and to watch him be flogged and to watch him be crucified. And that's interesting, Joseph isn't there at the scene when he's crucified, but Mary is there watching him go through all these sufferings. Every mother here in this room knows like the terror in your heart of thinking about watching your children suffer. In any way, um, she's going to go through an, an incredible amount of, of emotional suffering due to the call that she received from God to be the mother of Jesus. And, and you know, it's interesting for us, too, um, as Christians, you know, we have a unique relationship with Christ. We have a unique relationship with God. And, and while we've been promised this peace and this consolation, we've also been promised to suffer. Um, first Peter, I'm sorry, in, uh, we're, we're told in, um, in the New Testament says that if anyone wants to live a, a godly life in Christ Jesus, he is going to be persecuted. Um, and, and so it's interesting, we're promised this peace, but we haven't experienced it yet. The consolation for us, we've received in part, but as we walk this life, we're not promised ease and health and wealth, as many false teachers would have us like to believe. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just want to remind us that, you know, whatever 2024 has in store for us as God's people, uh, we know that it is, it, it could be peace and easy, easy living, but it could, it could have keeping be hard. Uh, we lived in a country for a while where if you decided to become a Christian, 
you are at great risk of losing your property. You are at great risk of actually being put in jail. And I, I was had the joy of meeting some guys, some some people who, who, who suffered in, in, in prison there. And, um, you know, they experienced God's peace in the midst of it all, but they also really did suffer. Um, Paul talks about in Philippians, he says, uh, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. There's this mysterious fellowship in our relationship with Christ that as we go through hardship, whether persecution or just the normal hardships of life, as we, as we rest ourselves in God's sovereignty, as we rest ourselves in God's goodness, we experience the joy of that fellowship. So um, it's, it's also interesting here that he says that the hearts of many would be exposed. Now there's a phrase there, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says uh, that God's word is like a sword. And, and it's, it's useful for dividing our hearts and exposing and dividing our, our thoughts and intentions. And it's interesting here, the ministry of Christ is going to be one that would reveal and expose people's hearts. And that's still what Christ is doing today by his word and in his spirit. Um, the church here, we are to be a place where our hearts are open to God and open to one another. And, and the ministry of Messiah is, is going to bring that. In conclusion, um, I want to encourage us to do a few things. Um, I would encourage us to, let's, let's be praying as we, we're not going to be able to be there tonight, but if, if you're praying at the Rikers tonight, as you're ringing in the new, new year, we're going to be over at my brother's place in Genie. Um, there's an interesting prayer at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, and it's where Paul has this interesting phrase. He says, Maranatha, Maranatha, which is not an English word, and it's not a Greek word. It's interesting. He, he transliterates an Old Testament word that means, come Lord Jesus, come Lord, come Lord now, is what it means. And it's fascinating to have this prayer that we would pray to God, God, would you please come? Would you please come? And it echoes the heart of the remnant of God's people. It echoes the heart of, of Simeon and of Anna who are waiting for God to come and comfort his people. Because we all groan. We all are longing for God to come. Now, what's interesting is, God, does God know when he's going to come? Does God know when he's going to consummate his kingdom and, and bring fulfillment and bring judgment on the earth? Yeah, he knows. But we still pray, come, Lord, come. Just like we talked about in our prayer class, do we still say, God, please forgive me, even though we know we've been forgiven? Yes. Now, there's a fascinating scripture, and I'm still wrestling with this one. Um, we're told in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 13, that as we walk godly lives, as we live, live godly lives, we should consider how we live in light of the fact that we could hasten the day of God. <laughs> to hasten the day of God, to speed the day of God. Now, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know when Christ is coming back. No man knows. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. I believe it could be 500 years from now. And Lord willing, God's people will still be faithfully seeking his face, saying, Lord, come now. And I just find that interesting that we're, we're, we're giving that example of prayer. So let's be praying to God that he would speed his return 
Um, also, I want to encourage us to take hold of Christ as the hope for the nations. Um, we live in a country that is has many different ethnic groups in it, many different cultures, many different languages. And there is ministry here in the Tri-Cities among the ethnos, among the, the people groups. And that might mean us needing to learn another language, uh, crossing some boundaries, being uncomfortable. I've been in some interesting situations here. Uh, there, there's refugees here. There's also people from, uh, you know, Sikh communities. Uh, there's, there's a Lao Buddhist temple over there in Kennewick. There are people that worship other gods and have very little concept of who Christ is. In fact, I'd say even this new generation, um, people, people don't know, really know the gospel. People don't know Christ. Let's be praying. Let's be trusting that Christ still is the light for the nations here. Let's be praying for missions for those people who are serving in, in difficult places. Um, there's, I looked it up today. There's about 8 billion people on the, work, on the, on the globe right now. And um, there's roughly 1,700 um, un people groups. We can, we can number them. The unique culture, unique language. And there's about 7,000 of them that are still considered unreached. That's a lot. It's a lot of people groups that need to hear about Christ, that need to hear, need to have a missionary, need to have someone cross a boundary to share the gospel with them. That's about 30 to 40% of the world population. Okay, so um, there's another scripture I want us to take hold of by faith. In, in Matthew 24, 14, Christ said this, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all people groups, all ethnos, and then the end will come. So, if we want to be participating and seeing the hastening of the day of God, part of that is seeing the gospel reach all of these people groups around the world. Um, Christ is the consolation. Christ is the peace that the world needs, that the world is hoping for. It's also the consolation that Israel is hoping for. Let's be praying for Israel as well. As they go through this great trial and tribulation, that they would cry out to the Messiah they would meet Christ in the midst of all this turmoil, that they would search the scriptures and come to, come to the child Jesus and not stumble over him. If any of you have not yet put your faith in Christ, if any of you have not yet made Christ the cornerstone of your life, don't wait another day. Don't wait till tomorrow. And I'm talking to kids alike, adults. Jesus loves you, he cares for you, and he wants you to to lay him as the foundation of your life. We're going to have communion now. And uh, ask Brian to come lead us.